0: Okay, good morning everyone and welcome to Kabbalah Cafe. This is the best way to get your week started. Done. There you go. That's it. Making a statement. Best way to get your week started is right here. With a little breakfast, a little food for your body, a little food for your soul. So let's talk about Kabbalah. And talk about what I believe is one of the most daring ideas in the mystical tradition. And that is that spirituality and physicality are inextricably linked. In other words, there is a core connection between the physical and the spiritual. There are many spiritual philosophies and disciplines that believe that the spiritual is divorced from the physical. In other words, that the physical serves as a distraction or as a, um, as a detriment to spirituality. So therefore you have religions that will say that if you want to be a professional, uh, clergy person, we'll just keep it gender neutral clergy person, right? So you have to, um, disavow certain physical relationships or realities. Well, yeah, right, without getting specific, right? Exactly. So there are certain. But why, What's the thought process? The thought process is: if you're married to God, you can't be married to a human being. That's kind of the the, the philosophy, right? If you're married to God, if you're exclusive to God, then you're exclusive to God, and that means no uh, no other no other types of commitments, you know, terrestrial, um, physical, uh, you know, uh, uh, types of commitments. So that is that's the thought process. And many philosophies, many spiritual pathways have a similar philosophy. So for example, a spiritual tradition that has it that in order to achieve, you know, spiritual connection, you have to, you know, fast and divest yourself of material uh pleasures or food or whatever it is and and become, you know, and 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 meditate and and climb to the top of a mountain and, and, and really like let go of all physical attachments and, and get rid of your possessions and that sort of thing to attain a spiritual connection. All of that is under the same, uh, the same conceptual construct as what we mentioned a moment ago, which is a person or a viewpoint that says that spirituality is incompatible with materialism, with physicality. And so therefore, you got to choose. It's either or. Either, Sam, good morning. For the Shleach Tiber. So here's the deal. It's like you have to choose. Make a choice. Either you're choosing physical and living a physical life, or you're choosing spiritual, spirituality, and then you have to disavow the material. You know, one of the big things in cults, that you find in many cults is this notion of when you come in, what's the first thing they ask you to do? Got to get rid of your possessions to them. <laughs> to them. <laughs> I was gonna say exactly. To Typically. Money. Sorry. I was gonna say money. Right. No, but like, no, think about it. It's, it's you. Don't, the, oh, this cult. No one owns. We, there's, there's no, there's no personal property. Oh, you can't have personal, personal property. No, you have to give everything up. To, typically to the charismatic cult leader. Right? Wow. That's typically how it works. you got to give everything up to the cult leader. And it's a notion, and it's spun as a spiritual type of, um, uh, you know, like a spiritual level, like a, like a very profound spiritual level, that you know, if you're still holding on to your stuff, how can you hold on to God? So you have to let it go. Judaism is, and Kabbalah, which is the spiritual uh, component of Judaism, is absolutely radical. And when I say radical, you know, radical is not even a radical enough word. Judaism, Kabbalah, is so radical in its thinking because Kabbalah believes and teaches that to say that God or spirituality is incompatible with, with physicality, with materialism, is to say that God is limited, right? It's to say that the God we believe in is a God that can only exist in one space but not in another space. That like God's not big enough to be able to contain other experiences. Rather, Kabbalah explains at length in various places and in various forms this core idea. And the core idea... Hey, Denise. It's good to see you. And the core idea is this. The core idea is that... And this is what I like to call the spiritual law of gravity or Kab- the Kabbalah gravity. What is the spiritual law of gravity or Kabbalah gravity? You know, what's, what's the regular law of gravity? Help me out here. What's... Give me a working definition. Ah. Oh, What is up must come down. Good. Perfect. Perfect. In spiritual gravity is the same thing. Whatever's, well, it's really the opposite. It's kind of the opposite, but it's the same idea. Whatever's down came from up. In other words, if you see something here, you know this. It must have evolved or maybe devolved, whatever. But it must have emerged from a spiritual reality that is in essence, enlivening it and making it what it is. So, And this is not even Kabbalah. I mean, it's Jewish spirituality, but it's not even exclusive to Kabbalah. The Medra says something fascinating. I'll say it first in the Hebrew, and then I'll share it in the English. Hey, guys, good morning. It says, Ein l'cha kol There is no blade of grass below. That doesn't have a mazal. How would you translate mazal? That's how we translate it. What else is mazal? Mazal would be... Mm, still, That's still the luck thing. Mazal is also not just fortune or luck. Mazal is a... Like a star. Yeah. Like a star. Mazalot. The mazalot. Kolchavim Mazalot. Constellations. It also means like a... Mazal is also like nozel, like a, like, a, like a drip. In other words, it's like, like a flow. So, There is no blade of grass below that doesn't have a mazal above. And then the Medrash continues, that hits it and says, grow. Now, I know what you're thinking. What? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> like, is this like horse racing? Like, giddy up. <laughs> like, let's go. Let's go. We need to grow. By the way, I'm sure your lawns, all of our lawns are like not growing so much right now, right? In this deep freeze that we're experiencing. My son is in Chicago. My son is in Chicago. Yeah. So he's like, what's the forecast? Because he's in yeshiva. Yeshiva is like, she was kind of, it's not lockdown, but it's kind of like that, you know, like as far as infor- outside information. Oh, uh, yeah, oh, this is not Brooklyn. <laughs> the, bro- the tunnels are in Brooklyn, huh? Interesting, interesting. So in Chicago, I'm not sure, you know, they have buildings that are pretty much self-contained. In other words, they have like, you know, there's a cafeteria there. So they don't really have to get out too much. I learned in yeshiva in Morristown, New Jersey. That was fantastic. It was a big building, totally self-contained. That's like you could the whole winter you actually didn't have to leave the building. You got everything you needed right there. tunnel from one building to the other over there. They maybe I don't know. Not illegally, yes. Spiritual
1: coming
0: up. Yes. Good. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. I love love what you're saying. I love it. I love it. In other words, the idea of this interconnected cycle, that what's up goes down, what's down goes up, is at the heart and soul of Jewish mysticism. That is that there's a connection, a very tight connection between above and below. It's not like two separate realities that have a, a demarcation in between. In fact, the measure says that when God gave the Torah at Sinai, he was essentially breaking the divide between heaven and earth. Because up until then, up until Sinai, you know, there's a, there's a verse in Hala that says, I'll sing it. Hashamayim Shemayim, la Hashem, veHaaretz, Levnei Adam. Wow, this is Capella the musical. Well, no, no, we're gonna stop. We're gonna stop right there. We're gonna stop right there. Hashamayim Shemayim, la which means translate the words: the heavens are Hashamayim Shemayim, are heavens, la unto God. The arets and the earth, Natan, Nasan, Levnei Adam, were given to human beings. And so, what's the message of that verse um, in Psalms? Heaven is for God, and earth was for us. That was the original, the original. I don't know. I'm not going to say plan, but that was the original kind of uh, line of demarcation. It's like you got you got your space, I got my space, right? You got this side of the tracks, I got that side of the tracks. Little West Side Story going on. <laughs> the Sharks. The and the Jets. I always forget. Right, a little sharks and Jets action. So that's, right? Again, this is Kabbalah the musical. What, Hamilton should get all the fun? Or Aladdin, as it were. Okay, so here's the deal. So the deal is like this. The way it was originally is that there was this divide between heaven and earth. But then at Sinai, what happens at Sinai? God says that heaven should merge with earth, and earth should merge with heaven. And so God says, God descends down to the mountain, and he says to Moshe, go up the mountain. And so we see this kind of crossover between heaven and earth. So that's why it says, for example, That the patriarchs, again, before Sinai, we'll call that, oh, that's an acronym. No, we're not going to do that acronym. But anyway, before Sinai, right? So before Sinai, the patriarchs also did some sort of mitzvot. So for example, Yaakov, Jacob, when he peeled the rods, remember that story? When he peeled the rods, the sticks, to get the animals to birth ringed and spotted and speckled Calves and offspring. Remember this mm-hmm. bizarre. It's a little bit like little strange. It's one of those stories that you read. You're like, sure. Let's move on to the next story. It's like okay. It's a little weird. But anyway, so he, so that the, the our sages say that when he peeled the sticks, right. So you know what happens if you have, um, you know, a stick that has a little bit of bark on it, and you're peeling the bark. So typically, when you're peeling the bark, the bark is a little darker. Um, and you're peeling, you're revealing like a lighter strip, right? Imagine if you're like doing it as a ring. So what does it look like? I, I know I'm asking you to use your imagination big time here, but it might look like tefillin, right? An arm with tefillin, right? With straps, with black straps around it, right? White and black, white and black, white and black. That's, so it says that when Jacob was doing his thing with the sticks, it was like he was wrapping tefillin. That's what it says. Now, simple question. Simple question. Aside from the question of, hey, isn't that a stretch? Aside from that question, I'll ask you a question. After he did that thing with the sticks, let's say he had the spiritual intention or whatever. Do you think he was able to throw out the sticks? Or they were were somehow sacred? What do you think? It says that they were disposable. (laughs) Disposable and I could have gone either way. Okay. Um, they were disposable. In other words, it didn't the sanctity did not reside the, the the you know the divine sanctity did not reside in those sticks. Why not? Because God didn't tell them to do it. Exactly, because it was before Sinai, and before Sinai, if you did something spiritual, it remained spiritual. It didn't affect the physical object. It wasn't the 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 spiritual experience. Did not penetrate. Did not permeate the physical item that was used today. You have a pair of tefillin. It's holy. A Torah scroll, holy. Mezuzah, holy. All sorts of um, every mitzvah object is a shevtsa shal mitzvah, and therefore it's holy. And you have to be careful about how you use it. All of this is to say that Judaism has a radical take on spirituality. A take that I believe is different than the vast majority of spiritual traditions. And when you look at spiritual traditions, they might seem to overlap. Oh, they're pretty much all the same. But when you look at it closely, you realize it's very different. Judaism believes that spirituality and physicality, right? The spiritual and the physical, spiritual and the material are work work together. Like hand in glove. Because ultimately, like I said about the grass, ultimately, everything that's physical has a spiritual spark inside of it. And everything everything physical has a spiritual spark. And everything spiritual ultimately devolves or manifests in some sort of way in our physical world. Therefore, the following becomes... Very, um, uh, very true, but also very fascinating. We can look at the things around us and derive interpretation, explanation, and inspiration into our spiritual service. So, for example, I'll tell you a story. There was once a bar mitzvah boy that came to visit the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Now, this is back probably in the 1950s or 1960s. When did the Brooklyn Dodgers leave? Brooklyn? In the
1: Eighth. middle 50s. Before,
0: middle? 58. 58 or... In the 50s. In yeah. Okay, so this is before the Dodgers left. So first, so I'll tell you a few stories about baseball <laughs> in Brooklyn. So now, do you know where the Brooklyn Dodgers played? Abbotsfield. Ebbets, do you know where Field is? Brooklyn. Do you know where? All right. Crown Heights. No. It's right, it's like blocks away from Chabad, you know, you can you could even probably create a tunnel straight to Abbotsfield. <laughs> oh, sorry, too soon. Field of Dreams. Abbotsfield does not exist. Abbotsfield was made into apartment complexes, but they still have a sign. I used to drive by it when we lived in New York all the time. So, but anyway, so one time there was a yeshiva student who I happen to know who it was. I mean, he's no longer with us, but whatever. No need, no need to mention his name. But he was he mi- he was missing at the evening um, uh, studies, like the, the night uh, Seder, the night uh, learning. And so the next day, the Rebbe asked him where he was. So he said he was at a baseball game. So he said, which game did you go to? He said he went to the Yankees game. Oh, right. so the Rebbe said, look, if you're, go- <laughs> if you're going to a baseball game, at least support the local team. <laughs> At least go local. You go to Yankees, Yankee Stadium, up in the Bronx. You schlep all the way out there. Anyway, so that's one story. But the Rebbe once told a Bar Mitzvah boy the following: the
1: Rebbe was not like the Yankees. I don't like the
0: Rebbe. <laughs> I don't know if he didn't like the Yankees. Anyway, I think it was more ton- tongue in cheek. Here's the point: uh, there was a, the, the real story is this one. So uh, there was a Bar Mitzvah boy that came to the Rebbe. And kind of was getting some inspiration, I think it was like before his bar mitzvah. And uh, so the Rebbe was trying to communicate to him, you know, sort of like, what is, what is the meaning of a bar mitzvah? Like, what happens when you turn bar mitzvah? So the Rebbe says to him, are you a baseball fan? He says, yes. By the way, just a quick um, interlude. So football, right? We're now in football. Baseball is off season right now, so football is what's going on. Last night was almost the coldest game in uh, in NFL history. Fourth col, right? Miami. Poor Miami Dolphins, poor guys. They were freezing. But I'm a Pittsburgh guy. You know, I'm from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's game has been canceled. Has been postponed till tomorrow. Because there's, in Buffalo, because there's an absolute blizzard. They showed last night, they showed the stadium in Buffalo, what it looks like. Yeah, blinding. It's, it's, it's like snow up to here. It's it's a wreck. It's like hazardous, like, like more than hazardous conditions. But back to baseball. So the reb asked this, this young, about to become bar mitzvah boy, so do you like baseball? Kid says, I love baseball. He says, perfect. He says, so do you go to baseball games? He says, Yeah. He says, okay, so what if it's a blowout? I don't know if you use this exact terminology. <laughs> he says, what if it's like a blowout? Like your team is losing, uh, you know, they're, get, they're getting crushed. Um, there's no chance for them to come back, you know, and it's getting late. Is there a chance that you might leave? So the kid says, yeah, yeah, might leave. He says, what about the players? The players leave? He said, no, the players can't leave. Actually, yes. <laughs> the kid said, no, the players can't leave. What do you mean that's their that's their job? Rebbe said, until Bar Mitzvah, you were a fan. You know, you, you check in a little bit, you're a fan, but you're not so invested. But now when you turn 13, you're on the field. Now you're a player, right? Now you are an absolute player, and as a player, you need to you need to make sure that you're, that you're invested. Even when it gets difficult, even when it gets tough, even when it looks, you know, even when the odds are against you, you're, you're in. You can't, there's no checking out. Hotel California, right? <laughs> you can check in, but you can't check out. You're in. You're in it to win it. So that was the framing. All right, so here's the deal. It's like, you know, is it that, you know, we're using a random analogy to apply to something spiritual or do we see within the physical, do we see within the physical something spiritual? So that's really what it comes down to. And so here's the deal. Today, what we're going to do is, and we're going we're gonna to jump straight into the text because there's a lot of really beautiful ideas to share. He, we're going to talk about Preparing food, right? Yeah, we had a beautiful breakfast today. The food doesn't make itself. There's prep that's involved. This morning, I was part of the prep. I was cracking eggs. I was checking the. Uh, <laughs> he wanted to use some of the some of the yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Some of the real right. So um, I was tracking some eggs, checking some eggs and checking some of the. I think it was cilantro or something. Whatever it was, rinsing and checking. The point is like this: food doesn't make itself. Food requires prep. Pre- You've got to get the food, you have to prep the food, and then you have to cook the food. So there are many steps involved when it comes to food preparation. And so what I think is important to recognize, uh, based on this, uh, this kind of intro, is that nothing that happens in the physical world is divorced from a spiritual meaning. In other words, if something exists here, it's being powered by a spiritual reality. And if that's the case, then it's very likely that it will also have a spiritual analog and therefore a spiritual lesson for us all. So today we're going to look at the spiritual lessons of cooking and dry cleaning or cleaning clothes. That's literally today's conversation. Okay, so let's take these, pass it around. Take one and pass it around. So, are we to think that
1: everything that's in existence is uh, a complete portrayal of, of heaven, of the heavenly realm, or of God? Say it again? Are, are, we, to, are we to assume or understand that every, you know, everything that's, that's here with trees and buildings and things, um, that that's a complete representation of God, or a complete representation of the heavenly realms in
0: this Yes. Realm? Yes. But how we interpret that, what we do with that is definitely up for interpretation. <coughs> but Kabbalah gives us guidance as to what that means in a very powerful way. Okay, so here we go. Let's jump back in to this text. All right, uh, let me pull this up here. We are. Do we have enough copies? So. Are we sure? Okay. Right I'm you. All right, we are up to page thirty-four. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're up to page thirty-six at the bottom, where it says "Serving with Love," and I'm going to share my uh, my screen. <coughs> so tempted. Who should I let in? <laughs> I, there's some that I recognize, but like, there's two Tonys now, so great. Now, Now what? One is not kosher. It's one of the Tony's. It's, uh, no, it's not one of the (laughs) (laughs) Tony's. No, Ray's on. Uh, No, Ray's not on. It's
1: not the exact same
0: Tony twice. It it says.
1: Did you already give us this one before?
0: This copy, I may have. I may have. Okay. Um, Let's do this. I'm going to share my screen so you guys online can see. And here we go. Again, page 36 at the bottom where it says serving with love and let's kind of reset inside. So we talked about different types of servants. We talked about a type of servant. Well, yeah, we talked about a son and then a simple servant and then a, uh, a trusted servant. And we said, um, we said, that when it comes to when it comes to the son the son is someone who naturally loves the father and who does everything the father wants with love and with desire and with excitement and the son intuits what the father wants because the son being of the same dna the son actually recognizes you know what the father likes even before the father sometimes and so that's the nature of the son in our spiritual service that would be a type of spiritual service where um, the person is so intu- attuned with what God wants and does it out of love and from a place of desire, a place of understanding, a place of appreciation, that it's a, it's a perfectly loving experience. The, down- the downside of that is that at the same time that it's very loving, it's also, right, the challenge is that it's also um, uh, a little bit too much of, there's a lot of ego involved and there's a lot of self like, I want, I want to serve, I, I love this, I love to do what God wants. So there's a lot of I, even though it's at the end of the day serving God. The next category we said was the simple servant. This is someone who serves out of a sense of obligation and a sense of commitment. I'm obligated to do this, I'm committed to do this, this is a yoke that's placed upon me, it has to get done. Whether I like it or not, I'm going to do it. That's the simple servant. And then we talked about the... Uh, The loyal servant or the loving servant, the faithful servant. This is a servant that serves out of a sense of obligation, but at the same time has an appreciation for the one that he's serving. So it's not the son, right? The son doesn't serve. The son is doing out of love. This is someone who's serving. So there is a surrender involved, but the surrender is born of a love and appreciation toward whom one is surrendering to. To the one that one is surrendering to. So this would be like you and I surrendering to God and saying, I don't I don't know the reason for the mitzvah, I don't necessarily understand it, or I don't necessarily even appreciate it, but I, I appreciate you, I appreciate you as God. And if you're giving me the mitzvah, then this is what I'm gonna do. It's a loyal servant. Is joining the four two categories, joining them together? No, it's kind of like a high, it's kind of in between. I hear what you're saying. I don't know if it's joined together. I think it's like a third category, but it has elements of both. It has elements of surrender of the simple servant, elements of love from the son, but it's neither simple servant nor son. It's a third category. But yeah, that's a good way of framing it, actually. Now, let's start with serving from love right there, the bottom paragraph on 36. Such a servant, he says, does not serve as if yoked and burdened at all, but rather out of great love. So even though this servant is in a state, in a modality of surrender, it doesn't feel like a burden, but rather out of great love. Let's continue. He desires. Oh, and last time, which was I think a few weeks ago, we talked about the example of Yosef and Eliezer. These were servants who were excited about their work, even though they were servants. Okay. He desires for the greatness. Wealth and and success of his master and for his well-being. Right? So this is what this servant wants. The servant wants the greatness and the wealth and success of the master and for his well-being, that he should have pleasure and delight. The servant cares about the master. You see, the simple servant, I don't know how much the simple servant is thinking about the master. It's more of like, I got to do this. I got to get it done. I'm doing it. Whereas this servant, the, the, the loving servant, is thinking about the master is thinking about giving pleasure and delight to the master. And that encourages and inspires this servant to work even harder. He therefore, let's continue personally, top of 38, strives with all his might, both in personal attendance, serving the needs of his master's body, food, dress, and drink, such as to arrange a table before him with all types of delicacies that he prepared for him, and to clean and beautify his clothing. So again... What we see here is he's giving some examples of the of the of the loving servant. The loving servant cares and is invested in the well-being of the master to the point that this loving servant is going to personally attend to everything that the master needs, whether it's body, food, dress and drink. What does that mean? So he breaks it down. Such as to, and I, I know I read this, but I want to read it again a little bit more slowly. Such as to arrange a table before him with all types of delicacies that he prepared for him. And to, Okay, so that's one category. Preparing food. Preparing a lavish, I mean, we had a pretty lavish buffet. We have a pretty lavish buffet over there. Yeah. So
1: where does this servant, this category of servant, where does his love come from?
0: Oh, good. So he said before that it comes from an appreciation for the master. He appreciates. This servant has, I don't know if the right word is seichel, but I think a sensitivity. This servant has an appreciation for the depth, for the the lofty stature of the master and is therefore serving the master not out of a sense of surrender, of, of subjugation, also surrender, but not just surrender from subjugation, but surrender from a place of positivity and love and excitement. Doesn't that start with the way the master treats the servant? Interesting. 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 Well, the example that that we gave is Yosef. So Yosef is sold as a slave to Potiphar. But yet, even under Potiphar, he's not like just, you know, miserable and serving and then going to his quarters and retreating. He's a guy who's fully present. He's engaged. He has a chain about him. He has a charm about him. In other words, he's showing up in a positive way, not in a depressed and crushed way, even though I'm sure he would rather not be there serving this this guy in Egypt. But he's there, he shows up. The implication here is that on some level he appreciates the job that he has, or he appreciates the one whom he's serving.
1: Well, isn't it though in there somewhere where it says in the structure how you treat your servant, mm-hmm. they eat where you eat, yes. they um, stay where you
0: hundred percent. If you only have one meal, you got to give it to to the yeah, one who works the for you.
1: Exactly. Isn't this sort of being reciprocal on the part of the servant? Or you could say that gratitude. I mean, he's already gotten something for it if it goes
0: according yeah. to plan. And the the question is, you know, chicken and egg. Like which comes first? Is it does the does the does the servant show up that way first? Does the master show up that way? Do they both show up that way? Probably in a healthy situation. Jeff, do you have something? No. No. Um, David.
1: By the way, top 36 talks about when you said. Why does he love him? Because he recognizes the greatness of the master. Yeah. And also, by um, like Yosef, he knew who his master was, which was the Amish. So, like we said before, he, he slept the Amish with him. That's how he is a Ishmaelia. Right. So, who is Yosef's master? It wasn't Botifar. It was the who It was God. And that made, him like a, that made him a
0: proper vessel for any. I like what you're saying. In other words, we could say that maybe his master was never Potiphar. He happened to be working for that guy, but his work, he felt, was a spiritual work because God had put him in that position. So, he, so whatever he, he is called upon to do, he looks at it not just as heeding the wishes of, of a human being, taskmaster or, whatever, or whoever that guy is, but really heeding the wishes and desires of the true master and that gives him inspiration. That probably is more aligned with the reality, which is why, it doesn't matter that Potiphar is, whoever he is, he's showing up with his best self, excited to do the work because he's a shliach. He's a messenger of Hashem. Yeah, I like that. Good. It's like a parent and a child. The parent treats the child, the
1: child never gets the same appreciation, and right. respect, no matter, he's supposed to honor his parent, but the love of the parent and everything, the parent is, is after that person. It's the same thing here. There's connections go both ways. Right.
0: It has to, I think it's, it's a reciprocal uh, situation. Yeah. I think it has to start at the top. So,
1: like God, all the way down. Each time the person in charge has to earn that respect and honor.
0: Yeah. Very well said. And he
1: treats the thinks.
0: Yeah. So now he gets into what does it mean to cook? What does it mean to spiritually cook and prepare food? So he again he mentioned two things uh, right before the next section: preparing food and cleaning clothing. Right, the servant prepares the meal and also washes the clothes. What does that mean spiritually? And like I said before in the pre in the kind of the pregame, um, these are it's not just randomly using this as an analogy; it's understanding. That because human beings have a need to prepare and cook food, and we have a need to clean our clothing, it also is being driven by a spiritual reality. And there's therefore an intrinsic spiritual analog to everything that exists in the physical space. Now, let's, let's do this inside. Preparing delicacies. And he puts this in the original in parentheses. That's why you see this entire section in parentheses. There's multiple pages of parentheses here because it's all explaining spiritually what we just said, a servant physically does. The meaning of this in the analog, here we go. The preparation of delicacies for the master is a metaphor for the spiritual work of refinement. Now, let me share with you the Hebrew word. In the Hebrew, it's, um, it's known as avodat habirurim. That literally is translated as the work of borer. How would you translate borer in English? Selecting. Selecting. Uh, I'll, sh- I'll share with you a quick, uh, a quick uh, background here. On Shabbat, there are 39 categories of work that are prohibited. One of the categories of work that's prohibited is called borer. Borer is selecting. So, for example, if you have a, sa- a bowl of fruit salad in front of you and you, for whatever reason, are anti-kiwi, let's just say, I don't you. mean, um, huh? How dare you? How dare you, right? How dare you? Or let's say you're allergic to kiwi. Yeah, yeah I used to be allergic to kiwi. But did have haviovduh. This is my story. I grew out of a lot of food allergies. Not, not seriously allergic, but just like we get like itchy, scratchy, whatever. You know, like uh, a little bit of allergic reaction. So kiwi, kiwi was one of those things, huh? So when you were picky you Had a lot of allergies. I didn't have a lot of allergies. When I ate kiwi, my throat got a little itchy, so I avoided it. So imagine you have a bowl of kiwi, a bowl of bunch of different things, you know, cut up fruit, including kiwi. And so you're like, all right, I don't want the kiwi. So you take out the kiwi with your hand, and you and you move it to the side, off uh, to another plate or to whatever napkin. That is? Borer. That's prohibited on Shabbat. And I know what you're thinking. What? <laughs> prohibited on Shabbat? What kind of work is this? can you Thing. Oh, correct. So the way to do it is, you, it, when it comes to borer, you can take out the bad or the undesired from the desired to get rid of it. That's called borer. But what you can do is only eat what you want to eat, because then you're not selecting, you're eating. See, if you take out the stuff that you don't want, then you're, now you're selecting. That's borer, that's not, that's not okay. Um, God's like, that's way too much work. Stop doing that whereas, it's one of the works, one of the, anyway, that's another conversation. However, if you're, no, the, the 39 categories of work are what they did when they built a mishkan, when they built a tabernacle. So one of the things that they did was this type of selection. So it's not like all work is, is, is forbidden, it's specific categories of work, and this is, borer, selecting, choosing, is one of the categories of work. But again, If you have a fruit salad or a mixture in front of you and you select what you want and you eat it in the context of eating it, that's fine. But sorting and organizing, that's something we don't do on Shabbos. Now, the Kabbalists, the mystics tell us that our work spiritually throughout our lifetimes is this borer. What is borer? Borer means... Kind of, not just selecting, but really dividing, separating, creating delineation. This is good, or this is desirable, this is not desirable. I want this, I don't want that. Making Making choices. The mystics say, this is ultimately the work of life. Because the work of life is, God puts us in this world, and everything that we encounter, including Zoom, has good and has not good. Positive elements and not positive elements. And our job is, our calling is, to interact with this world and to engage with the stuff around us, but to be very selective. rare, to be selective. To only take the stuff that's good and to reject the stuff that's not so good. So for example, when it comes to food. So certain foods are good for the soul. Certain foods are not good for the soul. When it comes to work, Right Certain activities at work right are good for our soul and certain ones are not good for the soul. so when it comes to life itself, life itself is really a a, a large rare project where everything's in a bowl together, everything's dumped you know in one big bowl in front of us. you know we have all of these things in life that we encounter, and our job is to be very selective and to recognize this is healthy, this is not healthy now borer is forbidden on shabbat and the deeper meaning of that is as follows the deeper meaning of that is as follows borer means borer means that we're selecting because we recognize that some things are good and some things are not good on shabbat on shabbat the worlds are elevated and what that means on shabbat is that things are to a heightened state that we don't need to be so so selective as we are throughout the week. So, for example, I'll give you a simple example. When it comes to eating, the mystics tell us that when we eat, we should recognize that the real objective of eating is not just to eat something that tastes good, but to gain the energy from the food to allow us to do the next big the next big mitzvah. So, so let's just make this very simple. Imagine an intention for eating. Imagine this week, you have a kavana, you have an intention that every time you sit down to a meal you're going to think about the fallen you're going to think about how god created the food obviously the farmer and and everyone involved in the process you know is involved but ultimately god has given me this food and this food contains not just physical not just physical substance but also spiritual energy and my soul which is a human soul requires the spiritual energy in Elements that are beneath me, as it were, in the, um, in the scale of existence. Because we know there's Domeim, Tzomeach, Chai, and Medabra. There's inanimate life, vegetation, animal life, and human life. And human beings need the things beneath us, i.e., things on a lower level, which makes no sense because usually the things below need the things above. Why should something above need something below? Why should you and I need to eat a vegetable? Makes no sense. I know what you're thinking. Because we need to eat. That's, that's already how it is. But how does it make sense that it is like that? Spiritually. And so the author in, in, uh, in the Torah explains in his discourses uh, on the Torah portions, the author of the founder of Chabad, says that there's a simple reason. It's because the soul of the vegetable is greater than the soul of the human being on, on, in its source. And the way it works is the lower a thing is, the higher it came from. You know what they say? The 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 bigger you are, the harder you fall. The higher the, the light above, the lower it falls. So that this the divine sparks in the food in you know that's in the earth and in vegetation and animals, even though they are quote unquote lower than us, those sparks of God are actually greater than the sparks that we have inside, which is why we need the food. We need those sparks. So now we're we're presenting them, trying to work to try to kind of. Paint a picture of a, a bit of a meditation here. So when you're sitting down to eat, think about this. Think about how the food in front of me is not just physical calories, it contains spiritual light, a light that's greater than the light that I possess on my own. And that's why the Torah says in, in Deuteronomy, in Devarim, Ki lo alalechem levado man does not live on bread alone but rather on the utterance of God does man live. What does that mean? It means that when we eat, we're not just eating the bread. We're eating the Word of God. We're eating a divine spark that's in the food. That's how Kabbalah explains it. So the lowest
1: forms are just basically as an analogy, the basic ingredients that have to
0: be enhanced. Exactly. The lowest forms, right? The lowest forms have a higher potential. They need us to fulfill its potential. How do we fulfill the potential? We fulfill the potential by eating it, inculcating, taking in, imbibing the energy, and using it to do something positive. Preparing it, first, so that that Prepare, up. preparing it first, right. So would what's... Would uh, you say that
1: all of the sparks, they're equal, whether it's a vegetable or from a
0: cow or... So know? it says that, it's what well, it says in Kabbalah that the lower it is, the higher it is. Right, so would, what's lower?
1: So typically,
0: <laughs> Domain, Tzomea, Chaim Typically, inanimate, vegetation, mm-hmm. animal, human. So that's... Yeah.
1: Creation from
0: the dirt. Right. The lowest. We are... Right. You create them okay. living beings. Yeah, you could say that the human being is an amalgam of the lowest and the highest a soul from above, and the earth. So the, the idea here is that food contains incredible light. But, and here's the big, the big caveat, the big caveat when it comes to eating is that it's important to have that intentionality because the intentionality itself prevents the, um, the culinary experience from becoming simply one of material feeding. In other words, a person could sit down to a meal and have their favorite food, whether it's a steak or whether it's a salad or anything in between. And a person can be completely, since the greater it is, the lower it falls, a person can also be trapped by the food and be sucked into that experience to not see the forest from the trees and not realize that this is an elevatory experience and to believe that it's only a gastronomical experience. The idea of borer, of being selective, is about mindset. It's about, I'm I'm about to eat the food. But before I eat the food, I say a bracha, I recite a blessing. And the bracha serves as a moment for a meditation. And the meditation is, the food that I'm eating has a divine spark inside of it. A greater divine spark than the sparks that I already have inside of myself. Which is why I need it. But at the same time, it needs me. Because it's trapped Right, it's trapped inside a husk of food, and it can't fulfill its purpose on its own. It needs me. I need it. So when I'm eating now, my intention is that I'm not just eating it because it looks good, it tastes good, or I bought it at this. I'm eating it because it has divine spark, and so therefore I'm able to separate out the experience from being one of purely physical satisfaction to one uh, to an experience of being one of spiritual work. Borer, that is the borer. And so I will minimize my indulgence in the physical and recognize that it is more of a spiritual experience than a physical experience. That's the idea of burr. On Shabbat, it's different. There's no burr. You know why there's no... me one second. Let me, just, let me just round out this point. On Shabbat, there's no borer. Why? You don't need to select. Why? Because on Shabbat, Shabbat is a day of oneg, day that we're supposed to have pleasure, which means even the pleasure of eating is a mitzvah. So we don't have to be so discerning to say that I'm only eating for the spiritual element but not for the physical pleasure because even the physical pleasure itself is a mitzvah on Shabbat. So therefore, I don't need to have that borer. But all of that, all of that is is a bit of a deeper dive than what might be necessary to understand this. His point here is like this. When we talk about a servant preparing food for the master, anytime you talk about food in Kabbalah, that is a trigger in a positive way. That's a trigger for the work of Bohrer. And borer is not just by eating. It's not just when we eat, we should have in mind that we're eating not for the physical exclusively, but also for the spiritual. That's not only by eating, it's by everything that we do. It's about doing, going through life in a discerning way, recognizing that this is kosher, that is not kosher. This is okay to do, that's not okay to do, in the same experience. There was a young girl that once asked the Lubavitcher Rebbe, is nuclear power, is that good or not good? The Rebbe said to the girl, Do you have a kitchen, do you have a knife at home in your kitchen? And she said, Yes. He said, Is the knife good or not good? And she said, Well, it depends on how you use it. The Rebbe said, Exactly. Everything that has power, right, has a lot of power, could either be used for a lot of good or the opposite. This is the choice that you and I make. Right, The choice, that's bora. Bora means to be selective. That when we use a knife, when we go to work, when we prepare our meals, how are we doing it? Bora means to be selective about our intentionality. How are we doing it? How are we engaging? Jeff? Is the,
1: I don't mean that it's disrespectful, but <clears> a bad start. Is, there also, <laughs> is there also a spirituality if you're even trained? And Good question. Pleasure,
0: you know. Good question. So it's interesting because when it comes to not kosher, so the Alta Rebbe Tanya explains that the, the sparks in the not kosher food are so embedded in the husk of the non-kosher that, they aren't, that, that it, we're not able to capitalize on those sparks. The only way to capitalize on those sparks is to reject it. In other words, in the supermarket is to walk by it. Because rejecting it, imagine, imagine you have an orange versus a, what's that? No, no, no no no, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not, go, I'm not going, no, you'll see where I'm going. What's a nut that has a very hard shell? Wow, Brazil. Brazil nut. Good. Brazil nut. Yeah. Brazil nut. So imagine you have an orange versus versus a Brazil nut. What's the difference? An orange you can peel easily, a banana you peel easily, and the Brazil nut, you got to You gotta break it. You gotta break it to access it. So, some things you can access it straightforward, some things you gotta break it. So, when it comes to, let's say, kosher food, you can access the sparks straightforward by accessing it. Whereas, the only way to access the sparks when it comes to not kosher is by by rejecting it. Rejecting it is what allows those, its purpose, the sparks in that food, its purpose is not to be eaten. So that's how. You, so usually, when it comes to food that's neutral, accessible, sparks, you access it by engaging in a mindful way, utilizing the energy for a mitzvah. But when it comes to something that starts off that the, that the husk itself is making it inaccessible, the only way to access 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 it is by not using it. Anyway, that's it's a good question. There's a whole chapter in Tanya. Well, there's a whole chat. It's not my answer. That's it's all, it's all. I can't take any credit for it. It's all Tanya. Yeah.
1: So um, it's, it's interesting. So uh, God created animals by speaking, but he created us by uh, speaking and breathing. Israel. Yes. So we're a deeper part Correct. of God, but we're, uh, in a sense, a lower level.
0: Oh, excellent question.
1: And the other part of that is... Um, so I understand that we are at a lower level because we can you know have freedom of choice and say no. but what about um, what makes um, a animal or a plant a lower level than a rock because it seems like they're all those are all instinctual like the rock and the animal and the plant are all still instinctual even though they can talk and maybe they are making decisions.
0: Okay, so the first question is a very good question. You're asking how are we saying that, the lower something is, the higher its source. When we know that the human soul is coming from the breath of God, from the essence of God, what does that even mean? That's a very good question. And I don't know that there's an easy answer, but in some places in Kabbalah and Chassidus it says that the human being has the greatest soul. But in other places it says that even though it's conceptually the greatest soul, as things play out, there is an advantage or superiority in lower forms of uh, sparks that fall in lower spaces than the ones even within us. I, it might be on two on a few different levels maybe, but the human has yeah right and maybe that's like kind of ties into your second what point you
1: create or destroy so we have it's almost like we have a lower decision making is flawed you know whenever we have that decision making is flawed because we could create or destroy and at least the animal and the plant and the rock they're always just providing and, and keeping the place right going but what what makes the animal different than a plant than a rock
0: um, in Kabbalah, the, the distinction is that there's there's the idea of like moving, like so rocks don't move, right. and uh, you know inanimate. It's in Hebrew, it's called domain, which means silent. Yeah. They don't speak. There's no noise. I mean, water makes a sound. Water would be also domain, but it certainly makes a sound. It moves, you know, it's movement it moves, makes this, yeah. and it does move. Yeah. But I think the understanding is that it's it's not moving itself. It, it itself is not moving. It's gravity that's pulling it, it's not really moving on its own. Whereas vegetation has a growth that's happening, but it's still stuck. Animals have growth and movement, and, and they're not stuck, they're not tethered to one space. So, okay. there are a lot of, the, sorry? The way down is the
1: higher level, the animal depends on the plants. Right. That's
0: right. all
1: The plants depend on, on the, the
0: earth. Level. correct.
1: Right. So you go, go up and down.
0: Exactly, so there's a need that goes down as well, right. Good, Larry. So we're
1: talking
0: about humans. So is this a of all humans, or just Jewish humans? Oh, good, about kosher? Yeah. So kosher specifically is a Jewish thing. The idea is that you know, for the Jewish soul, kosher is optimized food, right? Imagine if you can buy like optimized food. Like for your specific, it's like if you buy a sports car, right, and it says only use, I don't know. Premium, premium gas. Premium gas. Like the, the higher numbers, what are, is it, 90-something, what is ninety ninety three? 93. So you want to take care of it. You're not going to put in the 87, the 87 pedestrians. Who does that? It's, <laughs> Bohemians. Hey. You want to put in the good stuff. So it's not just that kosher is, is, is better. It's really spiritually attuned to the Jewish mission. Now, now if the, if the next question is, well, how do you explain that and why, kosher ultimately comes down to the category of mitzvot that we call chok, which means we have no idea. Right? <laughs> but the but the one, but but trust the manufacturer. The manufacturer <laughs> says, yeah, only use this gas. I don't want to outsmart them. I don't want to presume that I know better than the manufacturer. Like, what do I know? So look, and again with kosher it's also, it's not all or nothing. Right? If we put in 87, all right, but next time we could put in 93. Yeah, in put other words, the crowd is putting in a new section. At, for? Got regular, organic, And spiritual, and spiritual. <laughs> kosher gasoline. One thing, by the way, that I, I'm sure all of you have heard me say this before, but uh, uh, like a, a cute framing of this entire concept uh, that I that I like to share is that you know no one ever takes a selfie when filling up gas. It's like look, look at me filling up. Like uh, uh, maybe you that has. Right or something, right. <laughs> the like $3. Right, then you're except but then it's the money, it's not the gas. But when it comes to food, we're always taking selfies of our food. And and it's understandable because we get excited about food and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But again, the meditation today, which I think would be a good meditation, you know, for the week. We do a week at a time. Meditation. Meditation for this, you know, for, for, for this week about food, because today's topic is about food, is about, you know, can I, what, next when I sit down to a meal this week, let me Pause for a moment. You know, when, as I say the blessing or before I say the blessing or after I say the blessing, pause for a moment to think about where the food came from, how ultimately it comes from Hashem. And how ultimately this food is designed to give the energy, to provide the energy that I need to do the next good thing. So it's really like, a, like filling up a car where I'm filling it up in order to keep on going. I'm filling up my body and my soul to keep on going forward. And I'm elevating the experience I'm elevating, sorry, I'm elevating the food that I am imbibing, that I am integrating into my flesh and blood to carry it to the next purpose. Which means, which means that we have a responsibility. If we take a living being, like a plant which is alive, or an animal, right? If we take a living being and sever it from its life force, by either cutting the vegetable or by, you know, ending the life of the animal, that's a big achrayot, that's a big responsibility, and the question is, that's almost demanded of us is, so you took the life of a living being. What are you doing to justify that? How are you justifying that? How are you elevating it if you're just eating it and having a degrading experience? A human being so excited about food? Eh. I mean, for an animal, okay, because what else, what else can an animal do? But for a human being to only eat like an animal? It's, it's unbecoming. It's not, it's not so nice. It's initiative. It's not so appropriate. And in that case, we're not elevating the animal, or the, or the plant for that matter. And so it's not just about, you know, animals have a life that we're taking, vegetables also are alive. A plant is alive, what makes that life uh, less alive? And so if we're pulling out something from the earth, right, we're pulling out something from the earth, we have, it, it, it behooves us to have a little bit of awareness and mindfulness. And, and feel that, that we are given the responsibility almost to, uh, to take a life, but then to use it for a higher purpose. And when we do that, it justifies, obviously, the entire experience. But that's the meditation. So let's, let's read out. We, we just have like another paragraph and a half, and then we'll close it out to today. Next week, we'll talk about dry cleaning. We're not dry cleaning. Next week, we'll talk about laundering. Not money. We'll talk about laundering uh, clothing. All right, here we go. So, I, I, I'm going to start again from the top of the paragraph just because I don't remember exactly where we're starting. I want to get a, a quick running start. The meaning of this in the analog, preparing delicacies. The preparation of delicacies for the master is a metaphor for the spiritual work, a refinement. That means, again, separating good from bad. Both the refinement of the facets of the animal soul, that means the internal refinement that we do to take what's good about the animal soul and reject what's not so good, as well as the fixing and refinement of all material things with which the servant of God is engaged, and from which he, de- he receives vitality. In other words, work, eating, etc. So I didn't mention the first part, which is the internal refinement. That might be the most... <laughs> he puts that as first. That's probably the most important one, is to, is to um, accept some parts of our personality and to reject other parts. When I say parts of our personality, I mean, like if our animal soul is getting us excited about hurting someone else, we should probably reject that. The good stuff we should take, the negative stuff, reject. And that's called separating. Borer, separating good, not good. Let's continue. He refines the above by engaging with them solely, like we said about food, for the sake of heaven. And he will not be vulgarized, God forbid, by any indulgence. In other words, with the right meditation, sorry, with the right mindfulness when it comes to, for example, food, so then food will be a a refined experience and not a vulgar or a uh, common, how would you translate feh? he just say feh. It's like, that's, that's what you're doing. Feh. Who does that? All right. He will not crave it with the craving and desire of the heart. Rather, his intention will be for the sake of heaven alone, etc. That is the service of borer, of refinement. The first type of servant, remember the first type of servant? That's the one who's hunched over, who feels the yoke and who's like serving completely out of surrender. The first type of servant would fulfill the above out of fear and dread of God, as shall be explained. But the second type of servant, however, which is the one that we're talking about now, which is the loving servant, would fulfill the above out of love for and attachment to God, i.e. to create pleasure and delight on high, as explained in Tanya chapter 27 and the end of chapter 33. So again, here we have... The, the, the distinction between the two types of servants kind of make, coming full circle. The son, yeah, we know the son. The son loves, loves it all. The son loves the father, gets it. Sure, easy peasy. The servant is serving out of a sense of yoke and obligation, but there's two types. One, set, one is completely out of obligation and subjugation. The other is out of love and appreciation and attachment. And that is what we're talking about here. The servant, in other words, you and I, who sit down to a meal, and recognize that we have been given an opportunity, an opportunity to make a difference. To, uh, you know, when we cut the food on our plate, we're also being able to divide, not just the steak, but able to divide what is desirable about this experience, and what is a little bit too animalistic about this experience. To make sure that what we're eating is not only kosher in the literal sense, but also kosher in the figurative sense. That we're eating like a mensch. And we're not eating like a behema. You know what a behema is? Like Like a... like a big animal. Sit down? We eat right, right. Well, if it's a good enough buffet, we'll make an exception. We'll do some grazing. Listen, listen, here's the thing. Oh, food is used as a major metaphor in Kabbalah because, well, because number one, it's, a, it's an activity we do all the time, but also, and also because the stakes, all puns intended, are very high. Oh, oh, terrible, yes. Throw some eggs at me. Make sure they're scrambled. Anyway. How how high are the stakes? Are they stakes on the stakes? Yes. stakes on the stakes. Here's the deal. The stakes are high. It's a common activity, but also because because it is such a, well, do I have a third point? I don't know if I have a third point anymore. Anyway, it's a common activity. The stakes are high, and it makes a difference, right? How we eat makes a difference. Okay, good. So that's, we're closing it out for today. So again, next week we're going to do the same thing, but regarding cleaning clothing. Right? When you launder your clothing, seems like a very mundane experience. What is, the spiritual, what is the spiritual parallel or the spiritual experience of cleaning clothing? We'll talk about how cleaning clothing has to do with the way you do a mitzvah. The way you and I do, not just doing a mitzvah, but the way in which we do a mitzvah. You can do it with dirty clothes. You can do it with clean clothes. So all of that is coming up next week. So my inspiration again, my, my uh, attempt at inspiration today uh, and my suggestion would be, oh, I'm looking back at, I, I shut it off, I'm glad to see everyone is still here. <laughs> Frank, you weren't expecting that this morning, were you? <laughs> I don't know what you guys saw, I quickly closed my computer, I don't know if it was still going on. It was, huh? Disconnect all those people that were popping in. <laughs> i there was too many buttons for me to effectively navigate (laughs) i froze under pressure (laughs) the only thing i could do was close my computer so i wouldn't see anything oh man yes is the answer well not really it was like just anyway we'll talk after the class (laughs) after the recording is over here's the deal here's the point the point is this week Today was about food. Well, today was about spiritual, finding spirituality and physicality, but the ultimate payoff was about food. So this week, let us recognize that the food that, that we've been given a gift, the gift to eat in an elevated fashion. Everything, everything in life derives energy from something else, right? The plant, from the soil, the animal, from the plant, the human, from all of the above. Um, so the message is, how can we eat in a human way, like a mensch? And that requires mindfulness to discern between what is holy about this, this experience and what is not so holy about the experience. To eat in a healthy way, to be able to demarcate our plates and say this is good, this is not good. And on Shabbat, even the pleasure is good. So that's why there's no borah on Shabbat. That's why you almost
1: so why can't you separate
0: basically, kiwi on huh? So you said no borer. So why can't you separate spirit? spiritually? There's no borah, yes, yes, but practically. Practically, no kiwi for you. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So here's the deal. That's Oh, me too. Well, used to. So that's the message for, uh, for today. Uh, thank you for joining. A few quick announcements. Number one, um, Tuesday night. I think it's going to be cold Tuesday. But it's going to be very warm here. So we're having a very special event Tuesday night. Uh, many of us have been rocked. You know, on and, and many different levels, you know, our faith, intellectually, you know, ideas that we've had, emotionally, by the recent events of the last, uh, you know, few months in Israel, as well as um, experiences in our own community and our own families. Right. Yeah, etc. So, and a, and a question that I have rec- that, that, that I've been asked and have discussed many times in personal conversations is about the idea of of maintaining faith, even when it seems like there's a lot of negative stuff going on. Simply a question like, how could a good God allow such horror to happen in the Holy Land, you know, to, to, to well meaning, to good people? You know, how's, how do we reconcile that? How do we keep on going faith? So, we have uh, a very special evening, and uh, an evening we're calling an evening of inspiration uh, with Devore Kryman. She is a speaker from Los Angeles. She speaks uh, around the world. She's, she wrote a book as well um, about finding faith and maintaining faith, even amidst uh, very difficult uh, circumstances and challenges. This is the event that's happening Tuesday night, right here, 7.30 p.m., finding faith when your faith is shaken. Please join us. It is going to be a very powerful event and a very, I would say, uplifting and inspiring event. So join us. I I have a bunch of these flyers, so you can take one. So it's a free event. Um but it's good to register that way we know we have a sense uh we'll do like a reception some sushi and wine beforehand. Oh maybe I should have led with that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an opportunity this well, wait one second let me let me, Let me start again. There's an opportunity there's an opportunity this week to practice borar to practice to eat the sushi. I don't know if we're we'll going to be able to zoom it. Yeah, I, uh Yes, yes. So number one, it's all kosher. Number one. Number two, we'll all have the, the opportunity to practice the borer. We're only eating it for the sake of heaven. However, it should be pretty good. So some wine and sushi. Um, there are a few very special dedications. The event is being sponsored by Dovi and Mushka Barber in honor of Dovi's mother's upcoming 10th yard site. Um, and in, in honor of Ashir Rubinowitz a young girl from this community who uh, recently passed away. And the additional event sponsorship is by Jeff and Diane Bland, thank you guys. And loving memory of Marlene Chastain, Arthur Kurtz, and Ashir Binowitz, members of the community who, again, recently have passed away. And uh, again, this event is really about coming together and asking the questions and the stuff that we all feel inside. And that, you know, sometimes we question ourselves for questioning, but the question is valid. But, if, but the more important thing is to be able to come together and to get a, uh, uh, you know, a pathway forward for it. maintaining our faith amidst challenge, amidst uh, you know, difficult times. And that's what's going to be happening Tuesday. Night. So please join us. It might be cold outside, but again, it will be very warm here. So come on out, tell your friends. Again, it's a free event: sushi, wine, and inspiration. 7:30. <laughs> so, so the lecture is going to be closer to 7:45, like, 8. So we'll have, a, we'll have an opening reception and then the, 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 uh, the lecture starts a little bit after that. Yeah. All right. It's going to, I think we're going to be opening up the, the space over here and do it. Yeah, it depends on, I'm not sure yet which space we're doing. I personally like this space. It's like very, it feels like a little bit more, I don't know, more modern. So I think we may do it in here. But pending. What? We'll see. We'll see how we... How we'll, we're going to figure out the, the setup. It's going to be somewhere on this uh, premises. All right, so join us um, Tuesday evening, 7.30 p.m. for the sushi and the inspiration. All right, thank you all for coming out this morning. Appreciate it. All right, and thank you guys for staying with me on Zoom. You got more than you bargained for, and so did I. <laughs> yeah, somebody was, was fooling around over there. I don't know. I saw... I saw the beginnings of, of, of stuff and I'm like, but then everyone's pointing out that didn't do anything. Just closing the, the computer, that's also a good me- metaphor in life, right? There's no easy fix. That
1: closing your computer was the same as walking away from the right?
0: Oh, well, no, well, maybe, yeah. but it didn't fix it. That fixes it. This didn't fix it. Anyway, thank you guys for still believing in, in us to restart it. And uh, hopefully they didn't learn everyone's uh, usernames. Because if that's the case, we're going to be in trouble. You need to be more discerning. No, I'm saying, so everyone should really have their camera on, at least to log on next time. We'll do one at a time. And that way I can see you and make sure that you're legit. And then we'll, we'll move on from there. Man, that's, we had that once. Matt, do you remember that at the beginning of COVID? I remember that. It was a daily power parsha. It happened once. Happened once. Jeez. Oh, maybe we should change the meeting code. Smart. Very smart. Oh, thank you, Elaine. Oh, I never even thought of that. Right, what if we change the meeting code? that's obvious right and that way it only go unless we have a mole I'm kidding kidding I'm not uh, no, I'm kidding. no I'm kidding no I'm kidding it must be on the web how did people access it is it on the website it's on the website it's available publicly that might be it all right fine we're gonna change it that's a great idea we'll change the zoom address that's that's smart okay. We got a game plan. All right, but still log on next time with your... I'll put in the email to log on with your camera at least the first moment. That way I can verify everybody. I will. That's great. All right, see you guys. I'm going to log off. All right, bye guys. Have a great week. Shavu Oh my gosh. Sit in.
1: Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What? What? And started with therapy. What?
0: What? And then the Express,
1: when it posted it What? Said, what? Oh, said, yeah, when people oh. call, like it'll be a
0: corporation under case. one name and then oh, yeah. do No. No. Just, what? 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 <laughs> That's insane.
1: What is happening to my life? What is happening here? Can problem. you you send me something well,